Good morning. It is a privilege to be here with you today, and I certainly appreciate your prayers for me the last couple weeks, in particular with preaching at uh, this assembly that is closing today in Kingsport, Grace Reformed Baptist Church. Uh, it was quite an experience for me to, to preach in that context. It was a, a challenge I had never quite faced before, and I, I cannot imagine what the pastor himself is actually experiencing right now. So please continue to remember that group in your prayers. Uh, this particular passage of Scripture is one that I shared with them from last week, and it was... Uh, it was heavy on me then, and it continues to be so, and a large part in light of, of what they are facing. And uh, as members of the Bride of Christ, with those other believers in the Lord at that assembly, we certainly can share in their experience. We can share in their sorrow at uh, how things are coming to an end as far as this local assembly. We can also share in hope, though. That the God of the church, the Christ who said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail. His purpose has not failed. It continues to go forward. But this morning as we look at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, I don't have to come this morning and ask you if you have any troubles, do I? I don't have to ask you if you have ever faced disappointments in life. I don't have to ask you if you have undergone injustice, persecution, oppression. Because that's a common thing that we all share. We all share disappointments. We all share distress and persecution if we live long enough. The question I would ask this morning, though, is who do you talk to when you have a broken heart? Who do you go to to share your troubles your disappointments. We know there is someone who can help us, namely God. But one thing I find interesting in this particular, these two psalms, is that the psalmist not only talks to God, but he talks to himself. I think it was Andy Griffith who said that a soliloquy is that part, like in a Shakespearean play, where a guy stands afar off and he talks to himself. Well, in a sense... That's what the psalmist is doing here. And when we hear the word soliloquy, we might think, okay, that's some literary device or something here in, in drama. But I believe it has a place for us as well. Now, we, you know, you hear jokes about people talking to themselves and say, yeah, but you've got to wonder when you start answering yourself. Well, the psalmist here, he does talk to himself. And we see three times in these two psalms, verse 5, verse 11 of Psalm 42, and then verse 5 of Psalm 43, we see the psalmist questioning himself we see the psalmist also as it were preaching to himself so i would submit to you this morning in our times of disappointment and trouble we need to do two things we need to go to god with those troubles certainly we certainly need to pray but we also need to talk to ourselves we need to remind ourselves of some basic truths and the hope that we have in god and this morning, um, before we get too far into the sermon, let me call your attention to the, the outline that you have in the bulletin there, if you're using that and taking notes. When I first submitted this outline, I wasn't exactly sure how this might shape up. And the way it's going to kind of work today, 
Because if you just took it and made a vertical threefold or just made two lines where you would have three columns, I'm basically going to look at an honest complaint, a trusting complaint, and a hopeful complaint. Those aspects in three sections here. The first section that would be like the first column would be verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 42. The next section would be the remainder of Psalm 42, verses 6 through 11. That would be in the middle. And then the last section would be all of Psalm 43. But as we consider uh, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 this morning, I believe it gives us a right way to complain versus a wrong way to complain. We often think it's, it's unspiritual, isn't it, to complain to talk to God about the things that we're frustrated about and disappointed about, it may come across as unspiritual, particularly to those who would simply go around all the time and just shake your hand and, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Praise the Lord. And it seems like that's their experience all the time. At least that's what they would say. But I think we know better. I think we know there's more to the Christian life than praise, although that is an important part of it. That should be a central part of it. There's more to the Christian life than the joys we experience and share. Although it is fundamentally a life of joy. But there is disappointment. But how do we express this? How do we properly register those complaints? What do we say to God? What do we say to ourselves? How do we honestly relate our struggles while at the same time doing so from a heart of faith and hope? Well, the book of Psalms shows us how. It doesn't always tell us how, but it shows us how. The book of Psalms begins, this collection of these hymns and prayers begins with the word blessed. But you know, as you go through the whole psalm, it's not promising a life free of trouble. It's not promising a life free of disappointment and pain. And we see in this section... Five sections of the book of Psalms. This is the beginning of book two. We see in this one, Psalm 42. This is a psalm of the sons of Korah. And I find this to be a good reminder as we look at how to register our complaints with God. The right way to complain and the wrong way to complain. Because when you look back at the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers has a good bit to say about the wrong way to complain. About how the children of Israel had been delivered from bondage in Egypt. And yet they were complaining against God. They were saying, you know, if you brought us out here to die, you know, take us back. We want the leeks and the onions. Just, just put us back under, under the yoke rather than to leave us out here. And they were complaining from a heart of unbelief. And the sons of Korah were an example of that. You can read about them in Numbers chapter 16. And they are complaining that uh, they are not a part of the, the priesthood. They, they have some other duties before the Lord, some service in, in the tabernacle. But they are complaining. And God judges them. The sons of uh, Korah, it says, the son of Ishar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben. These individuals gathered others with them to rebel against God's servant Moses and really to rebel against the Lord. And you remember what happened? The earth swallowed them up. Moses said, get away from these men. God is going to do something here that you don't want to have happen to you. And they were swallowed up. 
But evidently there were descendants of this Korah, as this psalm is is a psalm, um, a masculine, it says, of the sons of Korah. That's some sort of musical or a liturgical designation. And there were evidently descendants of Korah who were not a part of that particular rebellion. But likely they would remember that as they look back. They would remember the wrong way in which their ancestor had complained against God and been judged for that complaint. And so this psalm is not a bad example of complaint, as number 16 and much of the book of Numbers is, but it's the right way to complain. But we see here that these sons of Korah, they would have a reason to praise God, but they would also want to know the right way to go before him with our disappointments. We don't know the actual author. Some have thought this is David running from Absalom. Others have said, no, the the geography of uh, the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Mizar in verse 6 would not support that. But at any rate, whoever this is relating these experiences to us, you know he's a frustrated man. You know he's a disappointed man. You know he's a discouraged man. He's a man who's got problems. We know that much. And there's the question, Psalm 42 and 43, are they one psalm or two? Well, in some manuscripts, they're joined together. Others, they're separated. At any rate, we see a commonality with that thread that runs between them. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We see that two times in 42 and once in 43. And that's why I've joined them together for this sermon today. But this is one example of a lament psalm. The book of Psalms has laments. It has psalms of thanksgiving, praise, salvation, history being being, um, recounted of how God had worked in history to deliver his people. Psalms of celebration, psalms of wisdom, psalms of trust. This is a psalm of sadness. This is a psalm of lament. And I think it's instructive that this is included in the canon of Scripture because God not only wants to hear our praises, although supremely that is what we are about, to tell the praises of the Lord, but God is also interested in hearing our complaints. God is interested in hearing our troubles. And as I think about that, I was thinking about, you know, where where did this come from? Why are we even dealing with sorrows? Well, we go back to the book of Genesis. We know before sin entered... Man enjoyed unbroken fellowship and communion with God. There was no sorrow. There were no disappointments or complaints. But then when sin entered, part of the curse was sorrow. Part of the curse was disappointment. The woman in childbirth, she would bring forth children in sorrow. The man would work. The thorns and thistles would make it harder. He'd make a living by the sweat of his brow. And then he'd die. It was futile. In many ways, because he'd do all that work and then nothing to show for it. And so it's part of the curse. And the Psalms are an expression of this fallen world that we live in. This is just part of the reality. And in the Bible, there's even a whole book, Lamentations, written to express disappointment, to express sorrow and grief. But in the midst of it, even there is hope, just as there is in this Psalm. So we sang this morning, great is thy faithfulness. That is where those words are taken from. Lamentations chapter 3. And the psalmist recall, or the, the writer Jeremiah recalls to his mind the faithfulness of the Lord. And that gives him hope. And we see this also in the life of Jesus. 
We see Jesus being sorrowful as he is in the Garden of Gethsemane asking God to remove this cup of wrath that he's about to drink from him. But yet God does not remove that. We see the prophecy of him in Isaiah 53 that he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he's the one who bore our sorrows. And then we see Paul as sorrowful and yet rejoicing. But aren't you glad too we can look to the book of Revelation chapter 21 and we see a time in which God's people are with him. He is their God, they are his people and there is no more crying. There's no more sorrow. One day there is no more grief for the child of God, for the one whose trust is in God. But yet, for the one who would reject Christ, the Son of God, who came, was born of a virgin, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, our King who is returning, the one who rejects Him, who is our only hope, they face nothing but sorrow. They face nothing but suffering in the life to come. But if we have our hope in Christ this morning, we do have hope that this world is not all there is, that our best life is not now, that we have a hope that is sure and certain. And even though we may know Christ as Savior, there is still this tension, though. There is still this ongoing struggle. And I think it's instructive that we see this refrain three times about the psalmist speaking to himself to remind himself to hope in God because It's not like we deal with one disappointment and then we're fixed for the rest of life. It's like, well, I got through that and I'm inoculated from all the other suffering that I'm going to undergo. Right. Have you been through a trial and and you got through it and you had hope and praise of God and and you you felt like you're almost ready to take on another one. Then something else comes and then, oh, man, you find yourself in the same pit. But this scripture is an example of how to deal with that. So, as we look at this lament psalm, some have have listed these things, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down as a future resource. When you look at a lament psalm, you can identify a complaint, a petition, a confession of trust, and a vow of praise. A complaint, a petition, a confession of trust, and a vow of praise. And we certainly see these things. In this psalm, we see the psalmist complaining. We see him asking God to do things. We see him telling of his trust in God and that he will yet again praise him. And there are different types of laments as far as there are individual ones and group ones. There are corporate laments and individual ones. This is the cry of an individual. And as, as we look at it here, you know, we're reminded that this is no positive attitude kind of approach. This is a very much... Uh, approach it's an approach rooted in reality it's no idea that if i just get my thoughts just lined up correctly and i just think about good things everything's going to turn out just like i want it to it's not that at all it's a recognition of the reality of the situation here so first let's look at the first five verses of psalm 42 and we see the psalmist dealing with his his disappointment As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We see the honesty of the psalmist here, who in verse 4 says he is pouring out his soul. He's not hiding his feelings, but rather he's expressing them to God in honesty here. We see what he expresses that he has an intense desire for God. He has a recognition of his need for God. He compares it to the deer panning for uh, the water. And he talks about thirst. And that's a fundamental part of who we are as people, as humans, and of what we need. We can go without food for a much longer time than we can without water. And this is a very basic way, just like we need the air to breathe, we need the water to sustain us as well. And he's saying, just as this deer thirst uh, pants for the water streams, my soul is thirsting for you, God. He's saying, God, I have a, an intense desire for you, and I need you. And he also tells God that he's troubled, he's, he's weeping here. His tears have been his food day and night while they are taunting him. His enemies are saying to him, where is your God? Perhaps they are cognizant of the suffering he's undergoing and saying, if your God is so good, if your God really cares about you, why is he letting you go through this? Why are you having to go through this suffering? You know, look, look at what uh, the kind of life maybe maybe he had lived a life of faithfulness to God. And, and they're saying to him, you know, how can you have any trust in this God that you've served when he treats you like this? And the psalmist is being honest before God that this troubles him. And maybe it's a twofold thing that it troubles him that they're attacking him in this way. But maybe it's also that they're attacking his God. That the glory of God is being impugned here and the goodness of God because they're saying, where is your God in this situation? And we see that he is missing something. He says that he remembers these things pouring out his soul because he's thinking about when he would go. With the congregation, when he would go with the people of God, you know, perhaps this was David when he led uh, the people up with the Ark of the Covenant, bringing it back in that great celebration. We don't know, but at any rate, he missed being with the people of God. The corporate worship of God was something he prized and he was disappointed that he couldn't partake of it, whether he's being pursued by his enemies. And that's the case. Whatever the situation is, he could not be with the people of God. And I think we need to ask ourselves this morning, have we ever felt this way? Have we ever felt this intense desire for God? Have we ever felt this intense anguish at the taunts of the enemy, of people that would ask us, you know, where's your God when you're suffering? Have we felt the longing to be with God's people that this man felt? Maybe we haven't been in situations where we've had to be away. I will say, folks, even though I have not been persecuted or away from public worship per se it has been something i've looked forward to to be back among my own local church regularly and to be among you all and we need to consider is this something that we prize this is something that we value and as i look at the first two verses i think there's an area that i need to be honest in before god that may take a slightly different expression here do i thirst for god and hunger for god like this psalmist does perhaps what I need to say to God in my honesty is, Lord, I need this kind of desire for you. It's commendable that this writer has this intense desire for God. And I don't know about you, but my desire 
It waxes and wanes. There are times that I have more desire for God than I do at other times. And that's something that we should express before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm cold toward you right now. Lord, rekindle the fire in my heart for you. And I think this morning, too, when we talk about the the aspect of the corporate worship and being with God's people, you know, we should be thankful that we are able to do that and able to assemble. But doesn't your heart go out this morning for our brothers and sisters in Kingsport and that they would find another assembly very soon to be a part of? Does your heart not go out for the persecuted church, for those in many situations who are being pursued and cannot associate with a local body of believers. Some who might be able to, but if they did, would endanger those believers. Does your heart not go out to shut-ins who cannot assemble in this way with the people of God? Our hearts should, and we should pray in such a way that indicates such an honesty before God. And we see here also, we see that there is also a recognition of trust. Even though he is complaining in a sense, it's not one of unbelief. It's not that he's saying, Lord, you don't have any right to do this to me. He's not saying that to God by any means. But he's, he's addressing him. He's saying, my soul pants for you, oh God. He's talking to God and this is an expression of his trust here. He recognizes his need of God when he's comparing his thirst uh, for God to that of the deer for the, the streams. And he's praying to God while others are saying to him, where is your God? He is indicating by his very prayer that he is trusting God. That God is someone he can go to. God is someone who will listen to him. God is someone who can change his situation. God is someone who can answer when he calls. So we see honesty. We see trust. We also see hope. We see his hope in God. He talks to himself and reminds himself as he says, why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Why are you depressed and bothered? Hope in God. Preaches to himself, reminds himself to trust in God, to hope in him, to expect something from him. And what's he expect? He expects that he's going to praise him again. He says, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. And my God. So he reveals here that he believes that God is actually going to deliver him in some sense here. He says he's my salvation. So there is a real expectation here that God is going to do something. So this is a complaint. It's an honest complaint. It's a trusting complaint. It's a hopeful complaint. Is this how you talk to God? Is this how you take your cares to God? This is how we should talk to God. And talk to ourselves in our disappointments. Then in Psalm 42 verses 6 through 11. We see the psalmist being overwhelmed. Even having a sense of, of being forgotten by God. He says in his honesty. My soul is cast down within me. Lord I'm depressed. Lord I'm struggling here. I don't understand. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. And he says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He says, Lord, I'm overwhelmed. Lord, the things you have brought into my life, 
It just feel like wave upon wave crashing upon me, just beating me down. I feel overwhelmed, God. It's what he's telling him. And then he expresses to him there in verse 9, he says to God, his rock, why have you forgotten me? Now, when is the last time you've heard someone pray like that? When's the last time you heard one say, Lord, why have you forgotten me? It's not something we often think of expressing, but he's completely honest here in expressing his feelings. He feels forgotten by God and asks also, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He says, Lord, I feel forgotten. I feel oppressed. I feel overwhelmed. And even as with a deadly wound in my bones, verse 10, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me continually, where is your God? So once again, he's expressing a concern over this persecution from the enemy, this taunt. Where is your God? He said, this is like a deadly wound to me. Lord, this hurts. When they say these sorts of things to me. And he recognizes again that he's cast down. He is in turmoil. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt overwhelmed by situations in your family, in your job, your health perhaps? Perhaps an accumulation of of all those things and, and some other struggles that you're dealing with. And you just think, I just can't handle another thing. That's sort of where he's coming from here. Have you ever felt oppressed by those who would ask you, where is your God? Express that to God. Make that known to him. And then we see trust once again. We see that he is praying to God. He is remembering God. He's thinking about God. He's not gone out here in the midst of this suffering and said, well, that religion thing didn't work for me. So I'm just going to try another route here. He is remembering God, even in a faraway land here, he says that he remembers him from the land of Jordan and from Hermon and from Mount Mizar. He, he may be away from the temple and from the, the gathered uh, worship of, of the congregation, but he is remembering God. He is thinking upon God. This expresses his trust in him. And also there's a, a jewel of, of that in verse eight. He says, by the by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. Even in the midst of this suffering, he knows God's faithfulness. He knows God's loving kindness to him and his mercy. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. In the day, I'm reminded of his love. At night, I can sing to him and pray to him. And why would he do that? He wouldn't unless he had some trust in God. So again, he's complaining, but not from unbelief. He's complaining out of a trusting heart. And what's he call God in verse 9? My rock. The one that I can go to for protection. The one I can look to for refuge. The one I can look to to shield me. I'm looking to you, God, as I ask, why have you forgotten me? And why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He is expressing his trust to God. And once again, his hope. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. In that expectation, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Even through this time of being overwhelmed and feeling forgotten, God is going to deliver. 
God is going to bring me out of this in some way. And I'm going to praise him again. I'm going to tell about how great he is and how he did this. I'm going to do it one more time because God is going to deliver me. Is his attitude here when he's overwhelmed, when he feels forgotten, when he feels that he is being crushed under the, the waterfall of all the troubles that are going on. This is how we need to talk to God. This is how we need to talk to ourselves. And then in Psalm 43, we see how he deals with persecution. We see his honesty as he says, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He says to God, I need your help. I need to be defended. I need to be vindicated. I've got things going on because of deceit, injustice, ungodliness. I feel rejected. I'm oppressed by the enemy. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever been falsely accused? Have you ever been the victim of a lie or injustice? Or just simply felt completely at odds with the ungodliness around you in the culture, in society, in your workplace, in, in perhaps your extended family? Have you ever felt oppressed and persecuted? In a way similar to what the psalmist is expressing. That, that you would say, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. The psalmist is being honest here again. He's saying, Lord, I feel oppressed here. I feel persecuted. And not only by these enemies, but Lord, why have you rejected me? Have you ever felt that God just simply wasn't there? That he had forsaken you? And I use that word felt in a deliberate way because God has not forsaken us. He has not left us. But we can feel forsaken. We can feel as if we need to say, Lord, where are you? Why, why have you left me in this situation? Why are you turning your face away from me right now? And so if you have felt this way, once again, let's express that to God. And let's express it from faith. Not from unbelief. Notice he is praying. He is asking God to do this. He believes God can vindicate him or else he would not be asking him. He believes God can set the matter straight here. You don't go and ask someone to do something, in most cases, unless you think they can actually do it, do you? You say, well, that would be a waste of time if I went and asked that person that. He can't do anything about it. But the psalmist knows God can do something about it. So he's praying to him. He calls him the God in whom I take refuge. He says, Lord, you're my protector. Lord, I don't have anyone who can defend me except you. I'm not looking to human means here. I'm not looking to my own resources. He's not going down to the self-help section at the bookstore. And depending on that, he says, I'm looking to you, God. You are my refuge. And notice what he asks him to do. Verses 3 and 4. He says, send out your light and your truth. He trusts that God can send out his light and his truth, that God can illuminate things and God can send out this truth and that that will take care of the situation. He says, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. He says, Lord, bring me back before you. 
return me to you. Let me see your face. Let me come into your presence. Lord, this is what I need. This is an expression of trust. He wants God to do this. And notice in verse four, he says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God. What's he call God there? He calls him my exceeding joy. That could be translated the gladness of my joy. Perhaps we can understand it as the joy of our joy. God is our chief delight. God is the one who is like no other. He is our exceeding joy, the gladness of our joy. And why would you say this? Unless you trusted God. Unless you had confidence in Him. And then, once again, we see hope. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. He says, soul... Hope in God. Don't be depressed. Don't be bothered. Your God is your hope and you're going to praise him one more time because he's going to deliver you from this. He is going to take care of this. And and he expresses this forward look there in verse four. He says, I will go to the altar of God. I will praise you with the lyre, with this instrument of music. I will do this. He's saying this not from the. The reserves of, of, of his strength. But he's saying this because he has hope that God is going to deliver him. So are you persecuted? Are you oppressed? Once again, this is how we talk to God. This is how we talk to ourselves in our disappointments. And even though we may not know who wrote this particular psalm. There is one whose experiences. Are a solid foundation for us. Whatever this man was going through. I'll read to you from Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26 verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to his, his disciples. To a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples. Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. This is Jesus saying these words. If he can express in honesty this sorrow, we certainly can as well. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus found words similar to these that we have looked at today. 
Perhaps he even used some of the same exact words as he prayed. But at any rate, he was pouring out his heart to God, the Father. And just before this, recall in Psalm 42 how it talks about, in verse 8, that God commands his steadfast love in the day and at night his song is with me. Christ had just sung a hymn, verse 30 above, before they went out to the Mount of Olives. After the Last Supper, after he had shared that last Passover with his disciples and knew that he was the lamb about to be slain for the sins of the world, he was singing to God. He was praising God. He was singing hallelujah. Probably from Psalms 113 through 118, which were traditionally sung at the end of the Passover. And then he was about to undergo what the psalmist talked about when he said, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Folks, none of us have felt the full extent of distress and suffering that our Lord Jesus Christ felt. He was under the waterfall of God's wrath. Those breakers and those waves continually billowed over him and submerged him on the cross. And when that happened, what did he find to give expression to his heart? Chapter 27, verse 45 and following in Matthew. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And remember his enemies. They said, he saved others. Let him come down from the cross and save himself. You know, where is his God in this time? Psalm 42 and 43, in a very real way, show us our Savior, Jesus Our Savior expressed Himself in honesty. But our Savior also expressed Himself with trust. Remember, He also said, Into Thy hands I commit my spirit. I'm trusting You, God. And could it also be, as you look at Psalm 22, it is a lament psalm. But it's also the only lament psalm that ends in praise and thanksgiving. Could it also be that when those words were on Jesus' lips, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that he was also looking forward to the thanksgiving and to the praise that would be rendered to God on behalf of what had been done there on the cross. Christ was honest. Christ trusted God. Christ hoped. And folks, that's where our hope is today. As we heard from John 16 earlier, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be encouraged, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Folks, that's where our hope is this morning. That's why we can say with the Apostle Paul that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And no matter what sufferings we may go through, as detailed there in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord So what do you do with the disappointments you face? Can you say with William Cooper, trust not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace behind a frowning providence. He hides a smiling face when things look as though God's not with us, when things look as though everything's falling apart. 
Do you remember that He is there, that you can trust Him, that He has your good in mind? Who do you talk to when you are depressed and disappointed? Psalms such as these give us guidance, how to approach God, how to talk to ourselves in troubled times. So let me ask you in closing this morning, do you pray? Do you intentionally take time to talk to God and include in that the whole range of life? Not only those things for which you're thankful, as we should express, not only the praise that we should render to him for his glorious character and his mighty deeds, but also your troubles and your sorrows. Do you pray? Do you take those before him? Are you honest? Are you trustful? Are you hopeful as you do this? One thing that can help us in this is to be familiar with this book, in particular, the book of Psalms. I was privileged to take a, a class this last June in which the, the thing that I came away with that touched my life more than anything else was this very thing of praying the Psalms, of going through them. Uh, one approach is to take what they call a psalm a day. You can take a psalm. You can take five psalms. You can go through it consecutively. You could go through and take one psalm, then add the number five to it because the psalms Total 150. If you divide that by five, you get 30, which is about how many days you've got in a month. You could take five different psalms. You could take Psalm 1. You could take, I'm sorry, I got mixed up in my explanation here. Let me back up here. 30 is what you need to add, not five. <laughs> that would be a really long month. Let me back up there. You could take Psalm 1 and Psalm 31, Psalm 61, Psalm 91, Psalm 121. Glance at those. See what they're talking about. Is there something that you're going through that that would give voice to? You could go through it consecutively as well. There's no set rule by, by any means on this. The point is, part of the function of the book of Psalms was as a prayer book for the people of God. Many times we don't know how to pray as we ought. But we can simply take that scripture. It's been a great blessing for me to, to start to understand that you don't have to actually have such and such uh, a time for Bible reading and such and such a time for prayer, that you can mingle those things. You can actually read God's Word and then pray God's Word back to Him. And you know what that's like? That's like a real conversation with a real person. It's amazing, isn't it? But isn't that how our relationship with our Father in Heaven should be? That He speaks in His Word and we listen. And then we respond based on what He said. Not ignoring what He said, but pouring out our heart. Uh, and what's going on in our life in light of what he has said. So let's get familiar with the Psalms. Let's let us be shaped by them and let them discipline our prayer life. And, and not just the Psalms, but the Psalms in the context of the whole Scripture, realizing that Christ is the one who makes these promises a reality for us. Christ is the one whose sufferings give us hope. And let's also consider others as we do this, as we consider the fact that God does want to hear our complaints. Have you ever thought about how we will often complain about other people complaining? And we will say, you know, I just I don't want to be around them right now because I know they're going to just share all their troubles with me. They're just going to dump all their problems on me. And I don't want to be around that. Now, folks, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we should try to be around that all the time. But my own heart is, is convicted as I consider, you know, I need to be more involved in people's lives to the point that you know, I, I want to listen to their sorrows so that I can weep with them and so that I can pray to God for them. 
If God will listen to our complaints, we should listen to those of others. But also another application, when we see the deliverance that we long for and look for, we should praise God. We should not forget. We should have the attitude the psalmist had. I will again praise him and not simply forget God after he's delivered us out of our troubles. So as you take your cares to God, as you talk to him, as you talk to yourself about your condition, remember his faithfulness. Look to Christ, that man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. And look forward to that day that our Savior has secured for us by his sacrifice. That day in which God will wipe away every tear. Do you have that hope this morning? If you are personally trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation, you do. But if you reject him, there is no hope. There is no place beyond this life where you can be free from sorrow. Except through Jesus Christ in that new heaven and new earth. Where we will be with God. He will be our God. We will be his people. Let's look to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction by precept and by example that we have. Father, help us to be honest in our prayers before you. Help us to trust you and to hope in you. Father, I pray if there's one here that does not have that hope in you, that you would continue to work on them with your word and with the circumstances of life to drive them to yourself. Pray particularly for our children in this church, that they would have their hope in you and that their lives would be characterized by honesty and faith and hope. Father, please help us in our struggles to look to you and to expect your deliverance and to praise you for that. We ask these things in the name of the one who carried our sorrows and griefs, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.